Hi folks, this is Alan Watt and we're cutting through the matrix on August the 19th, 2011. For newcomers, look into cuttingthroughthematrix.com, help yourself to the audios which are there for free download. The sites you'll see listed on the com site uh, all are the official ones, they all carry transcripts as well as the audios for print-up. And if you want audios in other languages of the talks I've given or print-ups, go into alanwattsentinel.eu. And remember, too, you're the audience that bring me to you so you can actually help me keep going by buying the books and discs I've got for sale at cuttingthroughthematrix.com because I don't uh, take cuts from advertisers and uh, I don't bring them on as guests. And um, you can do this, as I say, by buying the books and discs. And from the U.S. to Canada, you can use a personal check or an international postal money order. You can also send cash and you can also... Uh, use PayPal. You'll see a donation button on the com site, use that and follow it with an email with name, address and order and I'll get it out to you and you'll find out how to do it on the com site as I say. And across the world you've got Western Union, MoneyGram and, and PayPal once again. And remember two straight donations are certainly welcome because it costs a lot to just struggle along here with the cost of everything, even replacing computer parts and all the rest of it or computers. And that all has to come off of the, the money that comes in here. Now, on this broadcast, I don't generally go into, I hate the politics of the system, so I won't talk too much about it, except, you know, you know it's fraudulent. That's, that's the only parts I touch. Back with more after this. Folks, we're back cutting through the matrix. And as I said earlier, that uh, I, I tend not to, to dwell so much on politics because to me it's a joke. It's a con. And I think it's always been a con, really. Uh, understand why politics developed the way it did because they say that you can never please all of the people, so you lie to them all. And, and that's what they do. Uh, and then, of course, the cliques at the top are so interwoven with private businesses, they're in and out as CEOs and then back into politics and vice versa to serve generally the, the companies that they just left to go into politics for. So they, they stand up for them and they lobby when they're on the other side, when they're out of politics, and then they're back in, in politics meeting the other lobbyists. I mean, it's just an old boys club, and it's been like that really forever. I, I really think it's been like that way forever. So it's a joke, and then they always get you to vote for the same system. And you do. Most folk vote for the same system. I think it's because we're terrified uh, that, that things can get actually worse, which they always do. But we never learn from that either, that they always get worse. And people vote again for, for the same system to, to continue on in the way it's going. There's nothing transparent about government whatsoever. Never has been and there never will be because they cannot ever tell the public the truth. That basically you're living in an incredible class system and everything's rigged from the beginning 
and you're given the education to match your class. And you're given a sort of education too, which does not really advocate reasoning for yourself. And you must reason through things to understand how, how they work and why they work this way and why you're getting this terrible education. And why did the boys at the top, who are no brighter than anybody else, uh, getting into the, the Ivy League schools and, and colleges and universities and going straight into, again, daddy's business or, or daddy's friend's business or into politics. It's because of connections. And that's what they call democracy today. And we know, too, it's just a massive tax base to to run their own corporate businesses, international businesses. That's really what it's for today. That's how it's developed, at least. And the other night, too, I talked about how the youngsters in England who were using Facebook and Twitter to encourage others to riot, uh, how they've been severely punished for for being a bit drunk and, and going ahead and telling them to do this. They didn't riot themselves, and um, which should be a lesson to everybody, by the way. And uh, However, that was nighttime robbery. The, the, the people were looting at nighttime. And daylight robbery is done through politics and banking. And we get plundered and pillaged at least twice a century, and we're always worse off afterwards. The currency is devalued, as always, and uh, you, you, everything was up in price, and including all your taxes again. So the bankers at the top can plunder you openly, and their pals in, in politics go along with them, using what they call the legal system to try and justify it. And the one thing America has never learned is, is to copy Britain. Because Britain is the best country if you want to copy and really confuse the public because it's, the class distinction is so obvious, including your accent, by the way. As soon as you open your mouth, you're classified into, into, oh, okay, he's from so and so, he's this and that. You're, you're immediately put into your little level where you're supposed to stay. And whenever they're caught with their hands in the cookie jar or conning the public or, or scamming the public for cash, uh, they bring out the, the best ones at the top, the ones who talk with their mouth full, full of marbles. And they have hurt expressions that they'd be accused of things. And it kind of works on the public. They feel kind of ashamed accusing this awful, awful nice gentleman at the top for, for scamming the public or plundering them. But the Americans don't have that same kind of differentiation in, in, with their accents. So they can't get away with it quite the same. Here's an article here. Now, Goldman Sachs is, a, is, is one of the biggest bankers on the planet. They're all over the, they're part of the military industrial complex, in fact. And if you look at all the, the companies they own, you find it's the same shareholders that own all of, of the, the, the main shares in all the military industrial corporations. The banks own them all. And Goldman Sachs has got away with, with murder and plunder uh, for an awful long time. And they, they'll continue because they're unstoppable, because they're interwoven with the system. But here's an article here to show you the cons that they get away with, and nothing will happen because of this either. No, no, not even a slap on the wrist. Never mind getting put in prison like these guys in England for four years. And it says, Goldman Sachs, a vice president, changed his name and now advances Goldman lobbying interests as a top staffer to Daryl Issa. Listen to the con of this, how they work this. It says, has uh, Representative Daryl Issa turned the House Oversight Committee into a bank lobbying firm with the power to subpoena and pressure government regulators? Think Progress Group has found that a Goldman Sachs vice president changed his name, then later went to work for Issa to co- coordinate his efforts to thwart regulations that affect Goldman Sachs' bottom line. That's the sort of cons they do. They just change their name and jump into a lobbying firm and, and then speak on behalf of the firm, but it's really for Goldman Sachs. <laughs> 
In July, ESA sent a letter to top government regulators demanding that they back off and provide more justification for new margin requirements for financial firms dealing in derivatives. A standard practice in Capitol Hill is to end a letter to a government agency with contact information for the congressional staffer responsible for working on the issue for the committee. In most cases, the contact staffer is the one who actually writes such letters. With this in mind, it's important to note that ESA letter ended with contact information for Peter Haller, a staffer hired this year to work for ESA on the Oversight Committee. ESA's demand to regulators is exactly what banks have been wishing for. Indeed, Goldman Sachs has spent millions this year trying to slow down the implementation of the new rules. Uh, They did it in lobbying and all the rest of it. In the letter, ESA explicitly mentions the new derivative regulations might hurt brokers such as Goldman Sachs. Heller, as he is now known, went by the name of Peter Simone until three years ago. Simone adopted his mother's maiden name. Haller, in 2008, shortly after leaving Goldman Sachs as a vice president of the bank's commodity compliance group. In a few short years, Haller went from being in charge of dealing with regulators for Goldman Sachs to working for Congress in a position where he made official demands from regulators overseeing his old firm. It's not the first time Haller has worked at the revolving door to help out Goldman Sachs. You see how they work it? It's, it's truly a revolving door. We want you, it's like spies. We want you to go out there for this company here. You're really still representing us, but you'll demand things on our behalf to Congress. According to a report by the Nonpartisan Project on Government Oversight, Haller, then known as Peter Simone, left the Securities and Exchange Commission in 2005 to work for Goldman Sachs, then quickly began lobbying his colleagues at the SEC on behalf of his new firm. At one point, Haller was requiring uh, to issue a letter to the SEC stating that he did not violate ethics rules, and the SEC agreed. <laughs> what a club, eh? <laughs> A brief timeline of Haller's work history underscores the, underscores the ethical rules or issues raised with ESA's latest letter to bank regulators. After completing his law degree in 2000, Haller was employed by Federal Energy Regulatory Commission as an economist and later with the Securities and Exchange Commission in the Office of Enforcement. So even though he changed his name, all these people knew who he still was, right? In April of 2005, Haller resigned from SEC to take a job with Goldman Sachs. Although he's not a registered lobbyist, he soon began lobbying the SEC on compliance issues on behalf of Goldman Sachs. In 2006, Haller left Goldman Sachs, according to Goldman, official who spoke to Think Progress. In 2008, he took a job with the law lobbying firm Brickfield uh, Burkitts, Ritz and Stone. In January 2011, Haller was worked to work, uh, hired to work for ESA on the Oversight Committee. Under supervision of Haller, ESA sent a letter dated July 22, 2011 to bank regulators, including the heads of the Federal Reserve, the FDIC, FCA, uh, CFTC, an FHFA, an Office of Controller, demanding documents to justify new Dodd-Frank mandated rules and margin requirements for banks dealing in the multi-trillion dollar OTC derivatives markets like Goldman Sachs. When he took over the chairmanship of the Oversight Committee this year, ESA dramatically shifted the committee's focus away from its traditional role of investigating major corporate scandals. Indeed, ESA has used the committee to merge the responsibilities of Congress with the interests of K Street and ESA's own fortune. Anyway, it goes on and on, quite a long story, but it's well worth reading to see how these characters run the system and your politicians and your whole government. It's quite in the open. Nothing will happen because it's true. They're untouchable. 
and you've an incredible club at the top there uh, where it's so corrupt. It's the same everywhere, isn't it? It's the same everywhere, so corrupt everywhere. Uh, earlier this year, I put a, a link up to the Hansard. Uh, that's the group that, that does the British politics with the House, in the House of Lords. Where one of the senior guys, the House of Lords, who had been head of the Bank of England at one point, stood up and said that he himself had personally laundered billions and billions of terrorist money through the banks. Uh, just, to, just letting them know how it works. He wasn't complaining about it. He said he, he was doing it on behalf of MI6 and bigger, bigger guys than that. So that's how the, the world really, really works. Uh, but at the bottom, well, you're just a tax base for all the big projects that they've got planned across the planet, which you'll never ever participate in physically. You'll just work for it, but you'll never see it yourself. And here's another one. Two Wall Street firms donated $11.2 million to, to members of Debt Super Committee. That's like the Super Congress. This, this 12 wise men. The bipartisan super committee created by the debt ceiling deal is comprised of lawmakers who receive big bucks from special interest groups. According to a report by Maplight, the committee is tasked with finding at least $1.2 trillion in deficit cuts over 10 years. In total, the 12 members appointed to the Joint Select Committee on Deficit Reduction got nearly $64.5 million from special interest groups over the past 10 years, <laughs> with legal firms donating about $31.5 million and Wall Street firms donating about $11.2 million. Well, you can guarantee there'll be no come-downs on those companies that helped them out there, eh? Of that, 11.2 million Goldman Sachs, Citigroup, Bank of America, and J.P. Morgan Chase donated approximately $2 million combined. Then it tells you all the members, who they are, and all the rest of it. Microsoft, everybody else was in on it too. The, the usual people that run your modern life. And a little kind of a bit of laughter at times too, because everyone knows that, that uh, the U.S. Congress is heavily lobbied by Israel. And they take members across for whining and dining in Israel. And there's a, a little uh, YouTube art, uh, article up there from a TV show where they talk about this. It's worth seeing uh, to see about 20% of Congress over in Israel getting paid and funded. Of course, there's no lobbying interests or it's nothing to do with uh, favoritism or anything like that. Back with more after this break. Hi folks, we're back. This is Cutting Through the Matrix, just talking about conflict of interest. And on this video, as I said, this link I'll put up at cuttingthroughthematrix.com, you can actually uh, watch it yourself and, and you'll see a Jewish woman in the States talking about conflict of interest. And not everyone's happy with what's really happening. But it says Israel wines and dines Congress, 81 congressmen in Israel for a summer break. And of course, that's how it's done at the top because... There's nothing, again, illegal about going over for a holiday. It's maybe bought and paid for. Uh, but it's, it's, at the top, they can do anything they want because they simply make things legal for them to do so. And in Britain, you have the same kind of thing happening, too, with the up-and-coming uh, Novo Rich, even ones from India, who then take them back to India, people, people the politicians to India for the, their holidays, etc. So this is... There's nothing new in this, but of course it's not called conflict of interest, it's not called corruption or anything like that. It's just the way that things are or business is done. That's what they would tell you. Lockheed 
the guy, Lockheed Martin, really they're big up there in security uh, because that's where all the military is going and have been for many years now into security for a, a world order when they run out of wars. Uh, I saw an article about oh, 18 years ago that had to go into security, domestic security. And not only do Lockheed Martin do that, they also do census of different countries. Uh, for, for the governments. So they know all about everybody, this private company, this a gun runner basically. And, um, but they also do all the stuff, your cameras and amongst other firms too. And, uh, and lots more to do with government. And they're into the airship of the future. I'll put a link up tonight. You'll see these high flying air, uh, blimps that they've got really that have all the high-tech stuff on them, and they're showing the ones they want to come out for the next model. It's just like the, the Cold War. In the Cold War, we used to hear in politics, oh, they've got to get this new missile, and they give it a, a wonderful name. And uh, they say the Russians have got something even better, so we've got it. So you'd buy it, you know, and of course no one asks questions because they're going to save you and all that. And then a month later, two months later, it was obsolete because the Russians had a better one. And they kept this race going all the time, and it was all nonsense. It was all absolute nonsense. But, and then they found out it was mainly guys in the houses of lords in Britain who were uh, allied with the corporations and companies like Lockheed Martin that were making all these missiles. Uh, you know, we live with corruption all the time, but we're taught not to see, We're actually taught not to see it. Understand? We're taught not to see it. That's how they've always done this at the top. They teach you to see life in a completely different, unrealistic fashion. So... That's what they do. And IBM have unveiled a chip that mimics the human brain. And it says IBM has unveiled a new experimental computer chip that says mimics the human brain in that it perceives, acts, and even thinks. I'm glad something thinks in this day and age. It, and it terms the machines built with these chips cognitive computers, claiming they're able to learn through experience, find patterns, generate ideas, and understand the outcomes. So we'll see if they become politicians of the future. And... This article is pretty good, too. It says, the global plutocracy is terrified of dissent. Uh, I don't know if they're terrified of it. I think they're pretty well. There's so much of a pulse of the public with the computer today. They can get instant readings on how are the public reacting to this, that, and the other. They know instantly how we're feeling. And it's how we're feeling, not what we're thinking. It's how we're feeling. That's how people write to each other. It's what they feel about. In some places, the war on dissent is being fought with bullets. and others, the war on dissent targets social media and mobile communications. The most liberal part of the country, the San Francisco Bay Area, is taking a page from Egyptian dictator Mubarak's playbook. This is his leading free speech organization, Electronic Frontier Foundation reports. This week, the EFF has seen censorship stories move closer and closer to home. The, uh, first Iran, then the UK, and now San Francisco, an early locus of the modern free speech movement. Operators of the Bay Area Rapid Transit System shut down cell phone service to four stations in downtown San Francisco yesterday in response to a planned protest. So all that stuff, remember, was in... The, uh, the next 40, 50 years report came, that came out by the Department of Defense for the Britain and NATO, and then it was an exact copy put out by the U.S. military the same, but a few months later, and they're both in, in the archives on my, in, in, in cuttingthroughthematrix.com. Have a look at them. 90 pages is a British one. But they talked about this coming time of uh, information sharing and how it would be a threat to the establishment and all the different uh, things they'd have to do about it, including basically blocking or jamming all signals to stop these things from happening. So that's the new democracy, you see. You can be democratic about certain things that are permitted or actually authorized or, or in fact pushed by government, but don't protest anything about what government's really up to.
That's the new authoritarian society that the Club of Rome said they'd have to bring in in the 1970s. So they have, bit by bit by bit, been taught they're under an authoritarian system. And, and we are under an authoritarian system now. So well, it's not even use their gimmick of, of democracy that they keep prattling on about because I have never seen uh, for any length of time a stable definition of democracy. It's always shifting like an, an elastic band getting stretched. And to show you again how the corruption works, we, we've all heard about Monsanto characters and big pharma people leaving again uh, the, the, the CEOs of corporations or pharma and, and the chemical industry and moving into politics, especially appointed, get, they get appointed into these, these groups like the FDA and such. And, uh, and then of course they're, they're basically lobbying from the inside and defending the company that they've just left. And often they'll go back into the company once they get what they want. So it's just a, a revolving door once again. And so you wonder why you're getting poisoned. Well, it's no coincidence. It says the USDA downplays own scientists' research on ill effects of Monsanto's herbicide. It says that what would happen if a USDA scientist had discovered that one of the most commonly used pesticides on the planet, with a reputation for having saved millions of tons of U.S. soil from erosion, was, rather than a soil saver, a soil killer? That, to quote a certain paranormal expert, would be bad, and yet it's true. Back after this break. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network because you can handle the truth. Hi, folks, we're back. This is Cutting Through the Matrix. Talking about uh, USDA downplaying its own scientists' research on ill effects of Monsanto herbicide. And it says, what would happen if the USDA scientists discovered that one of the most commonly used pesticides on the planet with a reputation for saving millions of tons of U.S. soil from erosion was, rather than a soil savior, was a soil killer. It says, this news came to the fore thanks to a recently published must-read article from Reuters on how government regulators are dropping the ball on agricultural biotechnology. It begins with the story of USDA scientist Dr. Robert Kremer. Kremer has spent the last 15 years looking at Monsanto's blockbuster broad-spectrum herbicide glyphosate, which is also called Roundup, the most commonly used pesticide in the world and companion to Monsanto's possibly monopolistic Roundup-ready lines of genetically engineered seeds. That's their deal. If you buy their seeds, which you're pretty well coerced into doing, then you've got to buy all their pesticides to go with them. It's a monopoly. Everything's a monopoly, of course. Well, exact figures are closely guarded secrets thanks to the USDA's refusal to update its pesticide use database after 2007. Estimates suggest hours of 200 million pounds of glyphosate were dumped on fields and farms in the U.S. in 2008 alone. That's almost double the amount used in 2005. Glyphosate has a reputation as the safest of all agricultural herbicides and has become the primary means of weed control in industrial agriculture. While being the best of an extremely nasty bunch may be the faintest of praise, the USDA relies on this perception, which has been fueled by industry and government research, indicating that the chemical dissipates quickly and shows low toxicity as poisons go, that is, to humans. And we've debunked this many times over the years, the same kind of thing. The claim of millions of tons of soil saved relates to the soil that would have otherwise been lost to erosion without glyphosate's central role in chemical no-till farming techniques. 
Indeed, experts such as Dr. Michael Shannon, a program director for the USDA's Agricultural Research Service, as well as other USDA scientists, make this anti-erosion claim the core argument in favour of the widespread use of the chemical. Even so, glyphosate has been under attack from several quarters of late. Research indicates that while glyphosate on its own may be relatively safe, it is actually quite toxic in combination with the other supposedly inert ingredients in the same same dose in commercial operation, uh, preparations of the herbicides. That's the stuff that farmers actually spray on the fields. And of course there's the frightening spread of superweeds that glyphosate can no longer kill as to the point that thousands of acres in the south have been abandoned to resistant strains of giant pigweed. And literally it makes everything after a while resistant to, to it and other weed killers as well. And I, I put a, a link up I think last week on Farmer to Farmer. I might find it tonight again where you can hear farmers talking about the outcomes of using this particular stuff. Enter Dr. Kramer, his work published in the peer-reviewed Journal of European Agronomy, further tarnishes glyphosate's uh, golden status. He's found that glyphosate's side effects in the ground are far more severe than previously thought. As he described it to me, the use of glyphosate causes damage to beneficial microbes in the soil, increasing the likelihood of infection of a crop by soil pathogens, interference with nutrient uptake by the plant, reduced efficiency in symbiotic nitrogen fixation, and overall lower-than-expected plant productivity. Dr. Kramer has even helpfully provided a set of recommendations for farmers who use glyphosate or use Monsanto's Roundup Ready seeds. According to Dr. Kramer, the worst of the problems can be avoided if farmers only plant Roundup Ready crops every other year in the same field, uh, come up with alternate crop residue management techniques, and plant cover crops to revitalize soil biological and ecological processes, as well as improve other aspects of soil quality. A USDA scientist uh, wouldn't recommend measures like this if he weren't convinced his results merited it. And then it says from the Reuters article, it says uh, that this, this could be something quite big. We might be setting up a huge problem, said Kramer, who expressed alarm that regulators were not paying enough attention to the potential risk from biotechnology on the farm, including his own research. And it says that science has not been considered in policy setting and deregulation, said Kramer. This research is important. We need to be vigilant. Meanwhile, the response from the USDA to Dr. Kramer's work has been, shall we say, subdued. Dr. Shannon of the USDA ARS admitted that Dr. Kramer's results are valid, but said that the dangers they represent pales in comparison to the superweed threat. In fact, Shannon specifically likened Dr. Kramer's new findings to unfortunate but unavoidable side effects like any drug might have. You see, it's all staffed by guys from Monsanto. So even their own scientists in the USDA uh, are put down because Monsanto boys are the supervisors. It's utterly corrupt. The system is absolutely broken, isn't it? But it's always been that way. It really has always been that way. And I just want to touch on the colour revolutions because... The Colour Revolutions, as well know, are sponsored. It's amazing, really, uh, that Hillary Clinton and uh, Bill Gates and, uh, and all the, 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 the ones who are into Facebook and the Twitters, etc., were all, all, all meeting with the military to advocate these revolutions in Libya and other, in Syria and other countries, uh, while the, the same governments that they, they work for were putting in uh, soldiers and mercenaries and all the rest of it to overthrow the governments and call them rebels. And... Um, 
The same thing's happening too in Thailand. I mentioned months ago about Thailand and how I was worried about it because it was a pretty peaceful country. And um, the people really rejected going. They didn't want a world to go into the World Banking System or the IMF. They managed to hold them off. And they don't go into the same uh, central banking scam to get into massive debt. And I said, well, something's going to happen to them. And sure enough, up comes the Red, the, the red Shirt Army, they call it. And it's, uh, so there, this Red Shirt Army is a, one of the color revolutions. Soros is one of the guys behind it. It says, Bangkok, Thailand, it says, surely a movement run by a man working with foreign interests against his own nation would be considered sedition in every sense of the word. Well, not in some countries. And regardless of how well-intentioned followers of such a movement were, ultimately their efforts would be contributing to future entirely removed from their genuine ideals of progress and change. Progress is not only an attractive motivation for political participation, it's a responsibility for those who wish to leave future generations with something more than what they have now. However, danger arises when progress is pursued politically rather than pragmatically, where people, not solutions, are hoisted to the pinnacle of attention and efforts. This is precisely the case unfolding in Thailand, where a man, Thaksin Shinawarta, uh, and his party and his agenda have taken the driver's seat of a contrived social movement called the Red Shirts and ultimately threatened the destiny of the very people committed to this hoax. It's interesting, too, because when... uh, Mazzini that took over from Albert Pike uh, for the World Revolutionary Movement of Freemasonry, uh, he had a he had a, a thousand red shirt army. He used to hire them out across the world, and these these guys called the red shirts. I guess uh, I, I guess the guys that run them certainly know about their history. Says uh, thanks in Shinawarta, himself a former advisor to the globalist equity firm the Carlyle Group. Right, this is the guy who's who, who they're pride in as the to, to run. Uh, on behalf of the Western countries again, um, they try to get him in with the, his, his Red Brigade, basically. Um, he worked for a global equity firm, the Carla Group, and was literally standing in front of the Council on Foreign Relations in New York City on the eve of his ousting from power in 2006. Since then, he's been represented by some of the largest lobbying firms on earth, including fellow Carlyle man James Baker and his Baker Botts Law Firm. International crisis groups Kenneth Edelman and Edelman Public Relations Firm, also a corporate sponsor of the Color Revolution College Movements Org. I didn't even know they had that. Color Revolutions College Movements Org, and Belfer Center advisor and IISS trustee Robert Blackwell of Barber Griffith and Rogers. Currently, Thaxon is represented by Robert Amsterdam of Amsterdam and Peroff, a major corporate member of the globalist Chatham House. That's the Royal Institute of International Affairs. Robert Amsterdam is currently defending Thaxon's uh, red shirt street mob, as well as the imprisoned Russian oligarch Michael Khodorkovsky. Khodorkovsky attempted to consolidate and hand over Russia's resources to foreign bankers, most notably Jacob Rothschild, who was sitting as a board member with this Soros-style Open Russia Foundation. It's just a big gang, isn't it? It's a big gang runs the world. This land destroyer report in an effort to provide beyond a shadow of a doubt not only Thaxton's connections to the global elite, but the nature of these connections tracked down lobbying registration documents which are required by U.S. law and maintained by the U.S. Senate. The U.S. Senate Lobbying Disclosures Database provides us with irrefutable evidence that Amsterdam and Peroff, Baker Botts, Barberg Griffith and Rogers and Cobra and Kim have provided their services to Thaksin Shinawatra since 2006. So they want to get their own boy in uh, so that they have, well, the whole world sewn up, basically. You can't have any country that's not going to join this, this world the system, the globalist banking debt system, slavery system.
And uh, so they've got to send their own boys in under colour revolutions. And they use the same techniques as they were using in Britain at the jail, those two guys for. But it's okay when governments are behind doing it and, and their fronts as well. It's, it's okay then. You can get whole countries going to war over it and, and they just call them rebels. And quite the world we live in, eh? It's just so disgusting. It's so disgusting. And people really cannot see it at all. Little article here on, because uh, I keep talking about eugenics, it's all part of it too, as they try and kill off and get rid of all the undesiring, undesirable people for the future. Uh, it's so Hinduistic, it's amazing this, this eugenics, I always see it as Hinduistic, because in Hinduism they talk about history and the great cycle of uh, basically space itself. Uh, is different from the, the 25 and a half thousand year cycle that they talk about in the Zodiac. They go into millions of years between ages, as they call it. And they also say in, in Hinduism that, uh, that the inferior types, the inferior types cannot come through into a new age. They have to be eradicated. And it's pretty well on par with the same idea of all the eugenicists. So there's definitely a connection. Someone either bored from it or it's one and the same thing on a much more occultic level. John Holder in Obama's science czar, the guy who was appointed, says forced abortions and mass sterilization are needed to save the planet. And the book he authored in 1977 advocates for extreme totalitarian measures to control the population. Uh, the tyrannical fantasies of a madman are merely the opinions of the person now in control of science policy in the United States. It's actually for the whole United States, isn't it? These ideas, amongst many other equally horrifying recommendations, were put forth by John Holdren, whom Barack Obama has recently appointed director of the White House Office of Science and Technology Policy, assistant to the President for Science and Technology and co-chair of the President's Council of Advisors on Science and Technology, and formerly known as the United States Science Czar. In a book Holdren co-authored in 1977, uh, the man now firmly in control of science policy in this country wrote that women could be forced to abort their pregnancies where they wanted to or not. The population at large could be sterilized by infertility drugs intentionally put into the nation's drinking water or in food. I hope you've got that. I hope that the few that can vaguely get through all your poisoning can actually understand what I'm saying here. Single mothers and teen mothers should have their babies seized from them against their will and given away to other couples to raise. People who contribute to social deterioration that is undesirables can be required by law to exercise reproductive responsibility. In other words, be compelled to have abortions or be sterilized. A transnational planetary regime could assume control of the global economy and also dictate the most intimate details of Americans' lives using an armed international police force. This is the guys, I hope you're really thinking about these guys of power where they are right now. And they're all across the world right now in all the Western countries appointed on the same boards. All eugenicists with the same agenda, because they all belong to the same big club, you see. And they have real power. And believe you me, they're not going to come out and ask for volunteers. What do you think they sit and do there? When they have think tanks, and say, how can we sterilize the public and, and, and increase the death rate? That's a big part of it, too. When the Rockefeller meetings, they say, what well, to increase, rapidly increase the death rate. They just don't make wish lists. These are powerful people with powerful money and behind them. They have to introduce it somehow, and they do. And they have been for a long time. 
It says, impossible, you say, that must be an exaggeration or a hoax. No one in their right mind would say such things. And that's what most folks say. Nobody would say that. I wouldn't say that, so they wouldn't say that. Well, I hate to break the news to you, but it's no hoax, no exaggeration. John Holdren really did say those things. And this report contains the proof below. You'll find photographs, scans, and descriptions of pages in the book Ecoscience, co-authored in 77 by John Holdren and his close colleagues Paul Ehrlich and Anne Ehrlich. The scans and photos are provided and to supply conclusive evidence that the words attributed to Holdren are unaltered and accurately transcribed. And it says, um, make sure to read the new statements issued by the White House and John Holdren's office in response to the controversy raised by this essay. You can see them below following the, the eco-science excerpts, or you can jump directly to the statements by clicking, and it's all the links to what John Holdren actually said. This report was originally inspired by this article on Front Page magazine, which covers some of the same information given here, but that article, although it contained many shocking quotes from John Holdren, failed to make much of an impact on public opinion. Why not? Because I had discovered when discussing the article with various friends, there was no proof that the quotes were accurate. So most folks, even those opposed to Obama's policies, doubted their veracity because the statements seemed too inflammatory to be true. In the modern era, it seems, journalists have lost all credibility and so are presumed to be lying or exaggerating unless solid evidence is offered to back up the claims. Well, this report uh, contains that evidence. Of course, John Holden wrote these things in the framework of a book he co-authored about what he imagined at the time, which was in the late 70s, it was an apocalyptic crisis facing mankind over population. Even though it's been plummeting according to the, the own census reports, they're importing uh, foreigners like crazy to pay off the debt, they claim. He felt extreme measures would be required to combat extreme population or problem. Whether or not you think this provides him a valid excuse for having descended into totalitarian fantasy is up to you personally. I don't think it's a, I don't think it's a fantasy at all. I think it's here. So I don't think it's a valid excuse at all since the crisis he was in a panic over was mostly in his imagination. Totalitarian regimes and unhinged people almost always have what seems internally like a reasonable justification for actions which to the outside world seem incomprehensible. And it's got direct quotes from John Holdren's Ecoscience. And uh, compulsory abortions would be legal. Uh, single mothers should have their babies taken away by the government or they could be forced to have abortions and on and on it goes mass sterilization of humans through drugs in the water supply is okay as long as it doesn't harm the livestock they like animals you see and actually guys like these actually like beef and although they pretend to be vegetarian the government could control women's reproductive reproduction by either sterilizing them or implanting mandatory long-term birth control and the kind of people who cause social deterioration can be compelled to not have children. But that should be all the bankers. Oh, you're not poor then, eh? <laughs> and it goes on and on and on. I'll put these links up, remember, at cuttingthroughmatrix.com, where you can read them yourself if you've got a mind to, if you're not distracted with the mass of trivia that even the Internet loads on you every day. Remember, the big boys are heavily into the Internet. They give you your thoughts for the day, all the wows and oohs that you forget the next day. They make sure that you're occupied with nonsense. When you pick your battles, look at the enemy and what weapons are using. Back with more after this break.
Hi folks, we're back and we'll go to the callers And there's Steve from Texas Hanging on the line there, you there Steve? Hello Steve Yes, Yeah Yeah, thanks for taking my call I have a question and a comment The comment relates to What you talked about last night The active denial systems It's a very good movie that you recommended That if people who always haven't seen They should see it, it talks about these uh, technology that are used by the police. Uh, the movie's called Blue Thunder. Uh, and it's an excellent movie. Oh, oh I've, I've seen that one. I, I've put up on my archives the, the link to it, in fact, uh, Blue Thunder. And that was done back in the 70s, wasn't it? Yes, yes. And even at the beginning of the movie, it says that these technologies are, are real and are being currently used by uh, police inside the United States. So they even knew that uh, before the movie even began. Yeah, that's right. And another one, too, is, is, is uh, rollerballs we're seeing, too, on how they eliminate individuality and force you all to be team players, meaning you have no individuality at all. And that was done back then, too, yeah. Yes, yes. But it's, a, it's a very good movie. I recommend everyone see that. I used to uh, recommend it to me in one of your educational blurs back, I believe, in 2007. Uh, the question, though, I have, Alan, is um, I grew up in the church when I was a young man. Uh, my uncle was a pastor, and also my great-grandfather uh, was a pastor. But shortly after, in middle school and high school, I, I kind of to pull away from the church. I had a lot of questions, but I wasn't able to get any answers. And uh, over the summer, I've been rereading the Bible again. And uh, it's one particular uh, book of the Bible in Genesis that kind of you know, rubbed me the wrong way. I wanted to see if I could get some clarity on this something because I'm kind of confused when I'm reading it. But it seems to be pretty straightforward. Uh uh, God uh, sent the angels down to destroy the city of Sodom and Gomorrah, uh, supposedly for homosexuality. Mm. But, uh, he, of course, uh, the angels tell Lot and his family to leave the city uh, at sunrise before before the destruction begins. And, of course, Lot's wife turns around and she turns into a pillar of sand and uh, of salt. Excuse me. And while she's in, and while the family is in the cave, Lot and his two children, uh, the two children uh, get the father drunk, and they become impregnated by the father. Mm-hmm. And now, um, as I'm reading it, I said it's incest, you know, but uh, how can God be upset with a city over homosexuality But he allowed two children to become impregnated by their father shortly thereafter? And that reminded me of Egypt. You know, King Tut, his parents were related. Uh, even the story of Oris or Heru or whatever you choose to call them, or with Osiris and Isis, they were, already, they were closely related. Uh, and even uh, talk about what you discussed in your archive. Uh, we believe you talked about Prince Charles. His shape was that of similar to uh, Akhenaten. Um yeah. And so, am I? Am I really? Am I connecting dots that should be connected, or am I on the right path? You, you, you are connecting the dots. Yeah, you, you got them connected. And you can remember too that a lot of uh, the Old Testament uh, uh, was altered in the first and second century A.D when the Talmudic uh, rabbis took over and created the Talmud. And, and the Talmud really is a way of rationalizing and justifying uh, and getting round the laws of God. And so they write things in a completely different fashion. And people have forgotten that. Uh, they're not taught their history of it. Uh, so that, so that, and, and there's a lot of strange things sexually in the Talmud that are allowed to do. But of course, that was pre-Talmudic, so yeah, it doesn't make any sense at all. Um, unless, unless um, 
the one that uh, had incest with his daughters was as bad as the guys he'd left in the city. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But there's quite a lot of that in, in that, that the Bible, for sure. Yeah. It is, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But thanks for calling. Thanks for calling. And Larry from Louisiana and E.T. New Mexico, please call up again on Monday if you can. From Hamish, myself, and Chair of Canada, it's good night and your God or your God's school with you.